0: Fable, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This morning I'll be reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you were enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. If Jesus were to come to us and write a letter to the church in Dallas today, what do you think it would say? How would Jesus encourage us? If he were to write a letter to our church, what would he commend? What would he praise? What would he say? You're doing this well, keep it up. And if Jesus were to write a letter to our church today, what do you think he would rebuke? What would he call out? How would Jesus call us to repent? In the book of Revelation, John tells us that Jesus comes to him in a vision and asks him to dictate seven letters to seven churches. He writes these letters to these churches to commend them, to encourage them, to say, this is what you are doing well. But Jesus also writes these letters to these churches to call them to repentance, to rebuke them and to say, this is what it means to truly be the church. And so, for the next seven weeks, the seven churches, beginning this morning with Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus. And what we will see in the Ephesian church is that though they were commended for standing up for truth in a culture of idolatry and compromise, they were in danger of no longer being the church because they lost the love that they had at first. And what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus' words to the church in Ephesus are words for us as well. He will call us to listen and to repent and remember the love that we had at first. So the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see that the church is called to hold on to the truth. And want you look with me at Revelation 2, verse 1. Again, these are the words of Jesus to John to send a letter to the seven churches on his behalf. And this is what Jesus says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, it's important that we take these words in context. And if you were with us last week, we looked at John's vision of Jesus. John has just been given a vision of Jesus that is majestic and holy and transcendent. His voice is like the sound of a trumpet and the roar of many waters. We're told that Jesus is clothed in a long robe with a golden sash, that his hair was white, that his eyes like flames of fire. His feet are like bronze, his face like the shining sun. And out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword, which is the very word of God. And so as Jesus comes to John with this vision of himself, he then tells John to write down what he says and to send it to the seven churches in Asia. These seven churches were told about in Revelation 1, verse 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can just listen. Again, Jesus tells John to write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to (laughs) Ephesus to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so what we need to understand as we read the book of Revelation is that it is many things. It is prophetic, it is apocalyptic, it is also a letter. A letter that is pastorally and specifically written to seven churches. Why seven? because these were seven churches of importance for the spread of the gospel but also because the number seven is symbolic for totality and fullness in other words there is a way that Jesus wrote down these words not only for these seven churches but for the church universal throughout all time in history it's why after the end of every letter Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What that means for us this morning is that Jesus' words to the church in Ephesus are words to us as well. And we need to listen. And so we begin with Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus. Why not you look with me at verse 2? To the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, I know your works your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Jesus begins his letter to all the churches and even his letter to the Ephesian church by commending them for standing up for the truth. What you need to understand is the reason why Jesus begins with Ephesus. You see, in those days, Ephesus was an important city. It was an important city in the early church because this is where the gospel began to spread throughout the region. It's where the Apostle Paul went in his missionary journeys to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to contend with the idols of the culture. It's where he left Timothy to labor and to work. It's where the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church in Ephesus, a book in the New Testament we call Ephesians. It was an important letter written to an important church. And now 30 years later, Jesus is writing to the church in Ephesus again. But it was also an important city in that region geographically and economically. It was a port city. A METROPOLITAN CITY, A MELTING POT OF SOME 200,000 PEOPLE OF DIFFERENT BACKGROUNDS AND CULTURES AND RELIGIONS. AT THE CENTER OF THIS CITY WAS THE TEMPLE OF ARTEMIS, CONSIDERED AT THAT TIME ONE OF THE SEVEN WONDERS OF THE ANCIENT WORLD. THE TEMPLE OF ARTEMIS WAS THE CENTER OF PAGANISM AND FALSE WORSHIP AND IDOLATRY. IT WAS ALSO THE CENTER OF COMMERCE AND THE ECONOMY IN EPHESUS because they had mixed religion with the economy. And so it is in this place and this culture that the Ephesian church was called to live and to proclaim the gospel. In the midst of religious pluralism and idolatry and false worship and false teaching and a mix of greed with devotion In that place, the Ephesian church was called to speak the truth of God's word, and Jesus is commending them. He's praising them. He's saying, you have fought the good fight. In the face of attack and falsehood on every side, you have held firm to the truth of God's word, and you are to be commended for it. WE'RE TOLD THAT THE EPHESIAN CHURCH FACED ALL KINDS OF ATTACK. THE GOSPEL OF ACTS CHAPTER 19 TELLS US OF A a SILVERSMITH IN Ephesus NAMED DEMETRIUS WHOSE JOB IT WAS WAS TO CREATE IDOLS TO FALSE GODS OUT OF SILVER. AND WHEN HE HEARD OF THE CHRISTIANS PROCLAIMING THE TRUTH that these gods were not real and that there was one true God who died for them and rose again for their salvation, he started a riot. He had Christians hauled away. They chanted in their face, great is Artemis, why? Not because they are of their devotion to Artemis, but because he was a silversmith. And if Artemis isn't real, then their economy suffers evil was mixed in with idolatry and greed and it plagued the Christian church in Ephesus from every side. So much so that the apostle Paul, when he left Ephesus, he gave this command and this encouragement to the Ephesian elders before he left. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves arise men tw- speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. And so, what we see here in the book of Revelation is that everything that Paul warned the Ephesian church would happen has happened. Fierce wolves, false apostles, and teachers have proclaimed false things about God and the gospel and the world. And Jesus is praising the church in Ephesus because they, in the face of great falsehood, have proclaimed the truth. Look with me at verse 3. Jesus says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. What I want you to see this morning is that these words should be an encouragement to us. BECAUSE IN SO MANY WAYS, THE CHURCH IN AMERICA IS FACING ITS OWN EPHESIAN MOMENT, ISN'T IT? JUST LIKE THE CHURCH IN Ephesus, WE ARE FACING FALSEHOOD AND CONFUSION AND COMPROMISE IN OUR CULTURE FROM EVERY SIDE. FALSE TEACHING ABOUT THE WORLD, ABOUT GOD, ABOUT OUR IDENTITY, about the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so here these words should come to us, they should encourage us that as the church of Jesus Christ, we are called to stand for what is true, to boldly proclaim the truth that has been entrusted to us in the midst of a culture of chaos, confusion and compromise. And so in a world that is confused about gender, we have a much more beautiful story to proclaim that God made humanity in his image. Male and female, he created them for the flourishing of the world. In a world that proclaims false teaching about sexuality, we have a much more b- better story to tell that God has made marriage And sex as a covenantal picture of his unfailing love to us. And to fill the world with his image bearers to proclaim the mystery of his love for the church. And a world that says that all that we see is just here by accident and has happened because of chance and evolutionary theory. We have a much more better story to tell, of a God who created all things intentionally, because He is good, He made it good to declare His glory in the work of His hands. And in a world that says that we must strive to rescue ourselves from our own plight and difficulty, we have a better story to tell that says, our God loved us so much that he came down into our plight and our sin. He took on our flesh and he did what you and I cannot do for ourselves. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross in our place and he rose again so that all who believe in him have life in his name. We've been called the church to stand for truth And here we see in Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesians reason to hold on, to not give up the fight, not only to the culture outside of us, but within the church as well. Look with me at verse 6. Towards the end of his letter, Jesus says this to the Ephesian church. He says, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Nicolaitans weren't just outside the church, but they were actually inside it. They claimed to be followers of Jesus, but they claimed that we should give in to the culture, and they allowed the culture of Ephesus to seep into the church. And they embraced idolatry and love of money and sexual immorality and political power and cultural acceptance. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Notice the strong language that Jesus uses. He says, you hate their works. And he says, which I also hate. And as you hear that this morning, you might be asking, well, does Jesus hate? How can he use the word hatred? But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Jesus hates idolatry. Jesus hates sin Jesus hates false teaching so here's my question for you do you hate idolatry because Jesus did do you hate the idols of our culture and the way it wars against our hearts because Jesus does do you hate when false things are said about him and about the world because Jesus does Do you hate sin because Jesus does? Now let me ask you a different question, why? Why do you hate these things? You see, because I believe Jesus uses the word hatred here to contrast the word love. So let me ask it this way. Why do you hate the idolatry of our world? Do you hate idolatry because you love Jesus more? Or do you hate it because you're afraid? Do you hate idolatry in our culture because you love the people in it who are deceived and know better? Or do you hate idolatry of a culture because you wanna win a fight? Jesus uses the word hatred here because he has called us to love. And ultimately, this was the problem with the Ephesian church. The second thing I want you to know, as much as we're called to stand for truth, I want you to know that a church without love is no longer the church. And what's interesting about the seven churches is that you can put them into three categories. The second and the sixth church were churches that were faithful. And actually, weren't even rebuked that Jesus just told them to just keep going and don't give up the fight. The three churches in the middle were churches that were filled with faithful followers of Jesus with a mix of Christians who had given in and compromised to the culture. And so, to these churches, Jesus writes to purify themselves and to make them single minded. It's only two churches the first and the last that jesus says are actually in danger of losing their status of being a church the last is the church of laodicea their problem is that they were lukewarm and if you've grown up around church maybe you've heard this before that it was to the church in laodicea that he said that you are neither hot nor cold and so for that reason i will spit you out of my mouth But you see, it was also the first church, the church in Ephesus that was in danger of losing their identity as a church. What was their issue? It wasn't that they were lukewarm. No, they were passionate. But in their passion, their love had grown cold. Look with me at verse four. Jesus says, but this I have against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. In their fight for truth, the Ephesian church lost their love. Notice what Jesus says. You abandoned the love that you had at first. And you ask, well, why is that such a big deal? Why is that so grave and dangerous? Why would they be in danger of losing their identity as a church? Well, the word for abandon here is the word forsaken. It's that they turn their back on love. They turn their back on the love that they had at first. Well, what does that mean? What is the love that they had at first? Well, for generations, theologians have essentially taught that the love they had at first must have been their love for Jesus. That in all their fight for the purity of doctrine and knowing and proclaiming the right things about God, they no longer loved God. More recently, theologians have taught, well, maybe it was actually their love for others. Then in their fight to stand for truth in the culture around them, they failed to love the people in it. I believe their problem was both and I believe it was both because Jesus cared deeply about both as Robbie said this morning we're told in the Gospels that a young lawyer went up to Jesus and he asked him a question in order to put him to the test the Gospel of Matthew tells us that this lawyer comes to Jesus and says teacher which is the great commandment in the law in other words Jesus What's the sum total of godly living? If you were to summarize what it means to be godly, to do what God has asked us to do, what would it be in a word? And this is what Jesus says, Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself.'" On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, what Jesus says is that all that we believe and all that we have been called to do can be summarized in one word, love. What does it mean to be a godly person? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind that you would love your neighbor as yourself that you wouldn't just know things about God but you would love him intimately and personally and that you wouldn't just proclaim things about God but you would live out that proclamation in the way that you have been called to love your neighbor as yourself and you might ask well who's my neighbor it's a great question It's actually a biblical question people have asked for centuries and Jesus makes it clear that for starters your neighbor is everyone in this sanctuary this morning but it doesn't end there it's the people that are literally your neighbor the people in your neighborhoods the people in your places of work family and friends but it doesn't stop there it's also the people who are nothing like you the people that you could never imagine talking to or befriending. In fact, Jesus goes so far to say in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been called to love our neighbor to the point where we have been called to love our enemies. Why? Because Jesus loved his enemies. He loved you and loved me to the point of dying on a cross for our salvation. So the question for us this morning is, do you have love? Not simply do you know what is right and true, and not even are you standing for what is right and true, but are you living that truth out to the point of love, love for God and love for neighbor Warren Wearsby was a 20th century pastor at the Moody Church in Chicago. I think he puts it well. He said, love without truth is hypocrisy. But truth without love is brutality. You you cannot have one without the other. They're never meant to be mutually exclusive, but we are as Christians called to hold out truth and love that in so many ways, truth is not true if there's no love in it, but love is not really love if there's no truth in it. And so you say, well, what in the world does that look like? As we face our own Ephesian moment, and we feel hatred. We're called bigots and we feel threatened by the falsehood of our world. How are we supposed to have truth and love? I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesian church. Ephesus, Ephesians 4 verse 14 in Paul's letter to the Ephesus church knowing all that they faced even hearing reports of his own disciples being arrested and hauled off these are the words of Paul He says that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What is Paul's solution for holding out the truth of doctrine in a world that hates it? Speak the truth in love. It is not just the words that we say that make us countercultural. It is the love with which we proclaim them. It is love that makes us different in a world filled with hatred. It is love that makes us different, that though they hate us, we say Jesus loves you. And we are called to hold truth and love together. Why? Because that is the essence of who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the embodiment of love poured out for us. So how do we do this? What does this actually look like? Well, if we want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and love our neighbor as ourself, and we want to stand for truth in the midst of a changing and chaotic culture, only way we can do that, the third thing I want you to know, we must never forget who holds on to the church. Look with me at verse 5. Jesus says this to the Ephesian church. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. In other words, remember where you came from. Remember who you belong to. Remember who it was that rescued you. Remember who you were before he came into your life. In other words, you were just like them, lost and dead in your transgressions. And it's only because you've been redeemed by Jesus that now you know the truth and can proclaim it to the world. And so I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul, again, wrote to the Ephesian church some 30 years before. What does it look like for the church in Ephesus to remember from where they had fallen? Well, this is where they fell from. 30 years before, Paul wrote these words, Ephesians 1, verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Did you hear it? This is where they fell from. 30 YEARS BEFORE THE EPHESIAN CHURCH HELD ON TO FAITH IN THE TRUTH OF JESUS AND LOVE, AND NOW 30 YEARS LATER, THEY HAD FORGOTTEN THE LOVE THAT THEY HAD AT FIRST, AND JESUS IS CALLING THEM TO GO BACK, TO REMEMBER THE LOVE THAT THEY HAD AT FIRST, TO REPENT. And then to us in verse 7, this is what he says, He who has an ear, that is all of us who hear his words this morning, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so here is the question for us this morning. What is it that we need to hear from Jesus? And what does it look like to be conquerors? we need to remember the one who conquered for you and for me. The only way for us to remember the love that we had at first is to remember the love that Jesus has for us. The one who holds everything in his hand and is leading us and holding the church together. And so I want to end with where we began. Revelation 2 verse 1. The beginning of every letter Jesus gives an attribute from John's vision in Revelation chapter 1 and I believe Jesus gives a specific attribute that he's trying to apply to the specific situation in that particular church and so to a church that held fast to the truth but had lost their love this is what Jesus says Revelation 2 verse 1 to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. At the beginning of his letter to the Ephesian church will he commend them for their stand for truth but rebuke them for their failure to love Jesus says I hold you in my hand. You belong to me. The church is mine. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus says, I am the head of the church, and I stand for truth. And he also says, I stand in your midst. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life has come down among us. Why? Because he loves us because he loves us. A question for you is do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Not just things about him, but do you love him as the person? And do you love the people whom he has called you to? Do you see that outside of the gospel, you and I are no different? And so do you stand for truth? Truth in this world and our confusing culture because you love the people in it and you no longer want them to be deceived. Do you stand for truth not because you wanna win a fight but because you want them to know the victory that you have as well? Jesus has called us to be his church, to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel and to do it in love, love for him and love for the people that he is calling to himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you could do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so we pray now that as we sing this final hymn and go from here, that you would help us to behold you, Lord Christ. Help us to see you for who you are as the way, the truth, and the life and the one who loves us and has called us by name. We pray that you would help us now to walk wisely and boldly in our world and to speak the truth in love. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together.